0: And so it's an incredible honor and privilege to continue to work through the book of Philippians together. And we've said this all along, that the book of Philippians is an overwhelmingly positive letter. And we see all throughout the book this theme of joy that's woven. Now, church, um, don't panic. Uh, the, the looks like we're having some technical difficulties. In fact, I hope we paid the, the light bill this month. Um, that's a shameless tithing plug uh, right there. Uh, no, you know, when uh, perhaps it calls you to start for a moment when the lights went off because there's something about the dark that's a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, you can't navigate a room well. You end up banging your, your, your kneecap or stubbing your toe. Also, the dark's uncomfortable because you never know what's in the dark. You never know what's hiding in the dark. Um, but I want to remind you of something, church. We live in a world, Scripture says, that is plagued with darkness. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, as a minister, you should be ready in season and out of season. And so I just happen to have a flashlight in my pocket. And, um, you know, when you turn on a light in a dark room, everybody's eyes do what? They go to the light. Um, And it takes sometimes just a tiny bit of light to illuminate a, a pretty good amount. In fact, this light that I'm holding in my hand is no bigger than my finger, And yet we can see a little bit by it. And so Scripture tells us this, we're reminded of this, that as believers, our lives are to burn brightly. In fact, we should be burning brighter and brighter and brighter as time goes on, as God works in our lives. And so that is what we're going to be talking about this morning. But what do you say we do it with the lights on? Amen? Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump straight into the text this morning. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start off in verse 12. And our first thought this morning is burning brighter and brighter. Now let me give you a little bit of roadmap of where we're going to be going today. Um, Our first thought is this. We're going to be talking about sanctification. Sanctification is the process where we become more and more and more like Christ. That is to say, our light should become brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Um, And and that happens in two ways. Verse 12 tells us what we are to do or some of what we're to do to become more like Christ. Verse 13 tells us what God does in us as we become more and more like Christ. And then the following verses we're going to look at sort of tell us because of that we should shine brightly in a culture that is in fact steeped. So what do you say we jump in together this morning? Verse 12, let's talk about burning brighter and brighter. Look at it with me. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, at first glance, people look at that verse and they say, work out your salvation. What does that mean? Is this this teaching salvation by, by works here, that we come to God based on our good deeds? Well, that can't be the case. Why is that? Well, first of all, the rest of Scripture tells us that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. So all of Scripture is held in tension. It all agrees uh, and so second of all, we know this isn't teaching salvation by works, because who's Paul writing to here? Well, he's writing to a church of saved individuals, and so he's not speaking of salvation here. Instead, what Paul is saying is that a Christian's life should be consistent with someone who knows the Lord. The way that we live should reflect Christ it's saying we should burn brighter and brighter and increasingly reflect Christ over time but for a light to burn it takes energy Uh, my flashlight requires a battery if you have a light bulb it has to be connected to an electricity source it requires energy to burn and so Christ works in us as we'll see in verse 13 so we can work outwardly Um, But to, to burn bright, it requires energy, which is exactly what the word workout means. It's a call for energy and it's a call for effort. So in verse 12, Paul talks about putting, uh, he talks about the energy we put forth as we work out our salvation. And then verse 13 talks about God's energy flowing into us and what he does in our lives. And so if you're taking notes, if we're going to burn brighter and brighter, the first thing that we have to do is be imitators of Christ. Notice what Paul says. Uh, he begins verse 12 with that word. What is it? There. Four. When we see it, we always ask, what is it there for? So what Paul's doing is he begins this verse, he's connecting this thought back to verses 5 through 8. Well, what did verses 5 through 8 say? Well, they talked about Jesus emptying himself. They talked about Jesus limiting himself, stepping out of heaven into uh, the, the created Order here and humbling himself, becoming a suffering servant. He lived with humility. And so he is our example. Christ is our ongoing example. He is the quintessential example, the best example that we could possibly have. And so Paul says, therefore, everything I'm about to tell you is tied into Jesus. We are to imitate what he did. As we work out our salvation, we imitate Christ. He goes on. He says, Therefore, my beloved. I never know if you're supposed to say beloved or beloved. I guess you can say both, but therefore my beloved. Now, the second thing I think we can see this morning through what Paul's writing is if we're going to burn brighter and brighter, if we we're going to become more like Christ, we need to know that we're loved. Paul calls this congregation his beloved. And we've said over and over that Paul had an affection for this church. Paul had an affection for the church at large, but he had a, a specific um, close relationship with the believers at Philippi. Christian, this morning I want to remind you of something, that you're loved, that you are deeply and dearly loved, and I mean that. Um, if there's ever anything that I can help you with, I, I genuinely care about you and what I desire for you and for me, for my family, your family, my kids, your kids, your grandkids is that we understand the greatness, the richness, the joy of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know sometimes we don't feel loved. Sometimes we don't feel lovable. Sometimes we feel like an outsider. But let me remind you, just because you feel something, don't make it so, right? I know that's bad English. But just because you feel something, don't make it so. And so Paul writes, he says, beloved, I would remind you as well that not only did Paul care for the church and Paul care for us in this modern future setting, but Christ cares for you as well. And he's close and he's a friend and he's tender and he's full of mercy and grace. Of course, he's the king as we saw last week, but he's also near and he's loving. He cares for you. So maybe you're struggling this morning and you just need to hear that. Sometimes we just need to hear that we're loved. So Paul says, if we're gonna burn brighter and brighter we look to imitate christ we know that we're loved but moving on he says if we're going to burn brighter and brighter we also have to be obedient look at verse 12 therefore imitate christ my beloved you're loved as you have always obeyed now the verb here for obeyed means to not just be obedient but it means to listen to hear and then to be obedient so it means to listen and then to be obedient because that kind of makes sense you can't be obedient if at first you don't listen and hear what it is that God is asking you to do well how do we hear well part of that is what we're doing this morning we're opening God's word together that also means you feed yourself that you read the Bible on your own that you check what I'm saying to make sure that it squares up with scripture I pray that it does it means we spend time in conversation with God you, know, you can't burn brightly If you don't spend time with God and know what God desires and know what expectations God places upon us, but it's not enough to hear it. James says, don't be hearers, be doers. Once we hear, God expects us to obey. Sanctification, this process of becoming more and more like Christ, of burning brighter and brighter requires obedience. So he says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. So now not only is in my presence, but much more, in my absence. And so, obedience, true obedience, is present whether people are watching or whether they're not. Character is when you act the same way in private as you do in person. Now, it's, it's easier to come to church and to, to get dressed up and to speak Christianese and to say the vowels and the thither, thithers and do what you're supposed to do. That's hard, vowels and thithers. Um, it, it's easy to do that, easier, but it's much harder to live a consistent, obedient life private, Whether someone's looking or not, we're to be obedient. Paul says, Christians, if you're going to become like Christ, you have to obey what he says. In fact, Jesus put it this way, John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, the opposite of that is, if you don't keep my commandments, then you don't love me. You know, and, and that's the core of. Of course, salvation is by grace through faith, but if we are really in love with God, then we do what he says, and we, we do what he asks us to do. Burning brightly requires obedience. Then notice what he says, into verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What are you talking about, Paul? I think if we're going to burn brighter and brighter, we have to understand the consequences of our sin. You know, I tell my kids all the time, you, we can choose to sin, but you can't choose the consequences. The Bible is explicit. You reap what you sow, and I have learned this increasingly so, that my behaviors, my sins, where I miss the mark, impact the people around me in a much greater way than I would have ever anticipated part of sanctification part of burning brighter and brighter is me understanding the consequences of my sin he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling this is knowing the power of temptation in our lives you know what it's so easy to do the wrong thing it's almost like it comes natural that's what scripture says the natural man is opposed to the things of god Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's knowing that sin will always take us somewhere we don't want to be. And I've seen this played out countless times as I sit across from someone on the couch and I hear what's going on in their lives and they say these famous words of, I don't know how I got here. And now, of course, I don't say this, but I think inside my head because some thoughts are inside thoughts. I say, I know exactly how you got here. You started to ignore what God has called you to do and what he has prohibited, and slowly you settled into a place of disobedience, and that place of disobedience always brings us way further away than we would have ever thought it would. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In fact, that word there, work out, is a math term, and it means to bring a stated problem to its conclusion. And so the idea is that daily we're becoming more and more like Christ, that over time this, this problem of us is working out and being resolved as we move further along. Now we've talked about this before, but salvation has sort of three movements. There's justification, the day where you came to know the Lord and he declared you righteous before God. In fact, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see sinful Josh instead he sees Christ in my place. But I'm covered in the blood of Christ. That's justification. Sanctification is this lifelong process of burning brighter and brighter where God works within us and where we work outwardly to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. And then it culminates in the term glorification where Christ comes back and the problem is brought to its completion. And we spend eternity no longer hampered by sin and sorrow and death, worshiping and living in relationship with God. We're working toward completion. And so Paul says, verse 12, this is our call to work out our salvation. But we can only do that as we move along to our second thought this morning and we talk about the light within. We can only work outwardly as Christ is working inwardly. You can't burn bright if there's not the light lit within. And so let's look at what Paul says. He says, God works in us so we can work out our salvation. Verse 13. He says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So here Paul gives us the who, the, the what, the where, and the why of sanctification. Let's look at these quickly because the hour, does it seem like time just goes by like that on Sundays? It does to me. Probably not to you, but it does to me. Um, verse 13, let's look at the who. He says, for it is God who works. God is at work in your life. Christian, and let me remind you of this, God is more concerned about your holiness than your immediate happiness. Because God knows this, as we grow to be like Christ, joy will become abundant in our lives. But if God were the ever-permissive parent and just every whim you had, he was like, yeah, that's fine, your life would be a wreck as would mine. Joy comes with living a life wholly devoted to God. And so it's God who works in you. He's personal. He's not a force. He's not distance. He's invested in your life. He's kind, loving, near. He's still the king and worthy to be respected, but he's close. It's God who works in you. Then Paul moves on to the what. What is God doing in us? Verse 13, for it is God who works. God's at work in your life, Christian. If you know Christ, he is doing things in your life. In fact, the word work comes from the Greek energio, which means this. Uh, it's where we get our word energy. And it means that, you know, as we become like God, we can only do that through his power. He supplies the energy to do that. Because by nature, I am bent toward wrong. Even as a Christian, I still have the desire to do wrong. Paul said it this way, Romans 7, 18. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want, this I keep on doing. I'm thankful that Christ is working in me so I can work out my salvation. And so we move on to the where. Verse 13, for it is God who's working whereat, once again, in you. Christian, you should be able to see God in your life. If you've been saved for five years, you should be able to look back to that five-year mark and see that God has brought you, he's working this problem out in your life that he's bringing you closer and closer to Christ, that your light is increasingly shining brighter. Then we look at the why. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will and to work. That is attitude and action. In other words, God is changing your heart He's changing your desires. And as those things change, guess what else changes? The way that you live your life. And why is he doing that for his good pleasure? Why is your will and your actions changing? For God's good pleasure. Because we are here to obey, love, worship, and enjoy the Lord. So I would say it like this. Paul talks about God working in us and us working outward. I would say it this way. When it comes to sanctification, when it comes to you becoming more like Christ, live as though it's only you, that you are working to become like Christ. But be comforted by the fact that God is active in your life and that when you fall short, God's mercy and grace are ever-present. There's no sin that you can do that you cannot repent from and be restored with Christ. As we move on, Paul has talked about we work out, he works in, and he says because of that we are to, if you're taking notes, thought three, shine in the darkness. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 together. He says, do all things, not some things, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation. Notice what he says. Among whom you, Christian, shine as lights in the world. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You know, we live in a society that's incredibly blessed. We have so, so much. And sometimes it's tempting to think that we're not that blessed until you go and you see in another country how some people live and you think, oh my goodness, I am incredibly, incredibly blessed. But even so, we live in an incredibly discontent society. And even as Christians, sometimes it's easy to become people that grumble and that complain, And so Paul says, verse 14, he says, don't complain. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's easy to settle into this mentality of griping and grumbling of, well, you know, God, why are you doing things this way? You know what? God doesn't have to answer that question for me because he's God. I'm pretty sure that he knows better than me. Griping about other Christians is also a problem for us sometimes. Well, let me remind you, you're your brother or sister in Christ. Either talk with them and dress it or get over it and move on. Paul says, do all things. Now, here's what Paul's referring to. He's going back to the two previous verses. And he's saying, as God works in us, as we work out our salvation, we do it without grumbling and without disputing. And so grumbling and disputing, what's the difference? Well, grumbling is emotional, and disputing is intellectual. And so sometimes we get to this place where we get discontent with what God is doing, where we get aggravated. God, why is this going on? And it's emotional. And that emotional grumbling will lead us to saying, God, I don't like this. Why are you doing it this way? And sometimes we're tempted to ask, well, well, why me, God? Why am I in these circumstances? Well, I'll say this, well, why not me? Why not me? We all live under the same curse of sin, and it affects us all in different ways. And I don't know fully what God is up to. We live in a world struggling and groaning where all is not right. And I'm going to grout. Know, am I going to up to Paul and say, you know, what's up with this? When Paul writes this from a prison cell, Paul ultimately gets his head chopped off? Am I going to grab to, to, to God and say, you know, why are these circumstances in my life when he sends his son to be brutally slaughtered on a cross? What if, in fact, instead we, we grieve the fact that we live in a fallen world and we look forward to the day when our salvation will be made complete? When we get there, Paul writes in Philippians 4.11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Now, as we close out, Paul gives us Three reasons that we shouldn't grumble or gripe or complain or dispute. And first of all, he says, for your own benefit. Look at verse 15. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Man, I would love to have that said to me. Josh is blameless in character. And that doesn't mean perfect. It means he walks in righteousness. When we live like God calls us to live, there is joy to be found are you living a blameless life are you griping and disputing now Paul says if you the reason you shouldn't gripe and dispute is not just for your benefit but also for the lost benefit that is all those that are seeped in darkness all those that are captive we're to show them the light Um, look at again the second part of verse 15 He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let me ask you this, Christian. Are you shining your light amidst the darkness? Because you know what? We really need Christians to shine their lights. Now, earlier we had the room dark and I had one light. What if we all had one of those lights? The room would be incredibly dark incredibly bright. The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron, that one bright light increases the, the brightness of the other light. For such a time as this, we had better be light because the world is in darkness. But how do we connect that to grumbling or complaining? Let me remind you of this. As a Christian, the world is constantly watching you. Are you grumbling and griping are you living as children of the light? And This is what I see in our society a lot and believe me, I get it. But sometimes we gripe and complain about what's going on in America or the status of morality or what other people are doing and we spend very little time talking about God who is good and loving and forgiving. Maybe the lost world would be more attracted to us if instead of grumbling and griping, we just shared who Jesus is and that he had pulled us out of our old way of life and out of darkness. Last, Paul says, the reason you don't grumble and gripe is because it's for the pastor's benefit. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that at the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, this sounds a little self-serving because I, in fact, happen to be a pastor Let me be honest with you, church, and I have to brag on you. I'm so thankful that God has sown me into this assembly, and I love you, and I appreciate. You know what? We've got a great church. There's not a lot of grumbling or gropping that goes on. We, We have a common vision, and we've got some work to do. We've got to roll up our sleeves and keep moving forward. But God, I'm so blessed to be here. But this is what Paul is saying. When Christ returns, he looks at the Philippian church, and he says, I, on that day, I want to be hooping and hollering because you guys have run the race well. You have shone as lights in the darkness. I would say the same. My prayer is that when Christ returns, I'm on the sidelines saying, yeah, that's First Baptist Church orange right there. They knocked it out of the park. That's what we want. But let me be honest with you, church. I see this a lot. I see a lot of pastors, I see a lot of churches that don't have pastors, and I see a lot of pastors that are just incredibly, incredibly discouraged. And sometimes it's their fault, they've got some things they need to change, but sometimes they're faithful to do what God has called them to do, and they preach God's word, and they feel like it just doesn't make any difference what they're doing. Now, the Bible says this, that God's word doesn't go out void, so what they're doing matters. But there are so many pastors that are just incredibly discouraged. And so across the United States, across the world, pray for those pastors, that God would provide, give them what they need, and that they would be able to be lights in the darkness as they lead their congregation. But what Paul wanted for the Philippian church was for him to be able to celebrate with them on the day that Christ returned. And so this morning, church, as we close out, let me ask you this question. Are you burning brighter and brighter? Are you doing what God has called you to do to become more like Him? You're reading your Bible, are you praying? Are you working through those spiritual disciplines? Are you involved in church? Are you attending church faithfully? Are you serving? When God lays it on your heart to do something, are you being obedient to God? And it's so easy for me to make excuses To say, well, you know what, I don't don't have time to do this or or, or, or I'm just not a reader, I I can't open your word. It just doesn't come natural to me. What I've noticed is what we love, we make time for. You know, what we love, we make time for. So are you being obedient to work out your salvation in fear and trembling? Church, can I also remind you this, that God is working in you and not just in you, in this assembly, in every assembly across the world. God is working in the world. Let's be comforted in that. But last, are you griping and disputing or are you just obeying the Lord? Are you griping about circumstances or culture or what's going on in government and, and, or whatever it is, are you griping or are you sharing the love of Christ with other people? Because that's what's going to win people is us telling them it's called the good news for a reason. So church, what if, what if, Each and every one of us burned so brightly in the center of Orange, Texas. What could God do with us as individuals? And what could God do with First Baptist Church Orange? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you once again, thanking you for allowing us to be here In your house. And Lord, I pray that we give thanks every single week that we can assemble, that we can worship, that we can proclaim your name. But Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be attendance, that it would be us working out our salvation, that it would be us becoming more and more like you, that it would be us burning brighter and brighter. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart in this room, especially my own, that I would be obedient that I would be reminded that you love me or that I would imitate you in all things, that I would know the consequences of my sin or that I would see you working in my life or that I wouldn't gripe or grumble or complain. Instead, that I would teach and preach the truth and brag on you far more than I keep my eyes on the immediate circumstances around me. God, we want you to know that we love you. Lord, we know you are worthy to be praised. May our lives Reflect that. God, be with us until we join back here together again. But between now and then, let us be the church and let us burn bright. All these things we pray in your name. Amen.